This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by Sleepy Hollow Flower. When you need to blow up a windmill, think Sleepy Hollow. Hello, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are this week, 1922's Hexen, Witchcraft Through the Ages, and 1999's Sleepy Hollow. Before we get into that, of course, we always do slash cards, but you know what? Before we get into that, I want to talk about a horror movie that we saw last night. It wasn't a horror movie. You're right. It was not a horror movie for most. Ended up being a horror movie for Kelsey. We saw Ready Player One. Mm -hmm. Mainly because I felt like my expectations were lowered enough that I could enjoy the stuff that I'm meant to enjoy. And I did. I kind of liked it. If I had to give it anything, if I had to give it a rating, I'd give it like a 72 or something like that. It was uh, it was fun. It was very childlike. A lot of problems. A lot of problems. Many problems it fixes from the book. But the reason we're talking about that today is because who shows up towards the end of the movie, Kelsey? Chucky. On Facebook, I asked a group of people. I was like, hey, for those of you that have seen it, when does he appear so, you know, we can be prepared? And I shared the responses with Kelsey, and so we were both ready. And yet... It still surprised her. Now, she this was the most reserved response to something like this I have ever seen her make. And that was just a gasp and a head straight down. <laughs> and it's the cause of the only F-bomb in the entire movie, by the way. It's a PG-13 movie with Didn't only one F-bomb. It. Somebody says, it's fucking Chucky! <laughs> or he has fucking Chucky or something like that. It's totally unnecessary. <laughs> Yes, it is completely unnecessary. But it's a fun little moment if you're not Kelsey. It was to the point where, like, I told her it's done. He's off the screen. We're in the real world. And it still took her a couple seconds before she would pick her head up and actually believe me. Any comments? <laughs> I'm just annoyed that... Here's the thing. I'm not a big action fan. When this part comes in the middle of an action sequence... So even though I knew that it was the part where it was coming... You were kind of checked out. (laughs) I was kind of bored, so I was kind of zoning out, and then it just happened. I talk about this on the About page of our website, (laughs) podcemetery.com, that horror movies are... That's about the only genre that Kelsey and I really, truly align on. (laughs) Everything else, we have different tastes in comedies, we have different tastes in action and adventure... For the most part, we get some adventure movies that are very similar. But if it's, like, creepy, then we're totally into it. That's why we do this podcast. Yes. All right. That said, Kelsey, give me a Slash Cards question. In what year was the cabinet of Dr. Caligari released? Jesus. Cabinet of Dr. Caligari was... God, all these movies are around the same time. (laughs) Nine. I got that part right. Oh, good. 21? 
1920. Damn. You are incorrect. I was so close. <laughs> uh, Hexen, which we're about to talk about, that was 1922. And it was also after The Phantom Carriage, which was 1919, I want to say. I don't remember. Something like that. Uh, and there's a reason that it's important that The Phantom Carriage comes first, and we'll get to that in a minute. All right, Kelsey. Yeah. What horror actor played Sheriff Lee Brackett? In Rob Zombie's remake of Halloween. Malcolm McDowell? Sheriff Lee Brackett. Malcolm McDowell plays the doctor. Oh, right. He's not in it very much. He's that one girl's dad. Who plays the sheriff? Do I know this person? Yes. There is a reason why I asked this question right when I did. I don't know. He was also... Amongst other things, he was also Wormtongue in The Lord of the Rings. Oh, Chucky. Brad Dorif. Yeah. I don't know his fucking name. How do you not know his name? I know his name. <laughs> He's the guy from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. That's those, correct. Those, he was those. very young in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. He was the young kid. That's and, the biggest thing I know yeah, him from. Yeah, uh-huh. That and Lord of the Rings and Chucky. Yeah. Has he been in anything else? Yeah. Oh. Anyway, let's talk about the movies. First up is Hexen, Witchcraft Through the Ages. And it's a Dutch film made by a Dutch filmmaker, financed and produced in Sweden. It's really complicated and weird. <laughs> Written and directed by Benjamin Christensen. Also starring Benjamin Christensen. <laughs> uh, we'll get into that in a little bit. But Kelsey, why don't you give us the premise of Hexen Witchcraft Through the Ages. It's not so much a premise because it's not so much a movie, whereas it is more of a lesson. <laughs> it felt very much like I was sitting in a, a lecture class, <laughs> which is good. Like, I don't mean that in a boring way. I, at least I in loved the, it. In the beginning sections and at the very end, especially. Yes. But you are being spoken to through narration, it's a silent film. We are being spoken through through the through the cards um, directly to the audience. Uh, this is the description that's on Wikipedia, actually, which I think is pretty apt. It's a 1922 Swedish-Danish documentary-style silent horror film written and directed by Benjamin Christensen, based partly on Christensen's study of the Malleus Maleficarum, which is a 15th century German guide for inquisitors. That's all it says here, but that's literally all it was. It was one of the best-selling books of all time uh, when it came out. It basically tells you how to identify and deal with witches. <laughs> and it's all bullshit. Uh, Hexen is a study of how superstition and the misunderstanding of diseases and mental illness could lead to the hysteria of the witch hunts. The film was made as a documentary, but contains dramatized sequences that are comparable to horror films. And, and it's pretty horrific, too. Uh, horrific. I mean, for the time. It's not, like, scary. It's, right. it's horrifying. Yes, I suppose. And Hexen means witch, in case anyone was wondering. Yes. So, Kelsey, should people watch this? If you are interested in witchcraft. And let's be clear. We're talking about witch hunts. We mean, like, during the Inquisition, Middle Ages witch hunts. It doesn't get anywhere near... The witch hunts uh, that are, were popularized in the American colonies. I mean, it's all the same stuff. Yeah, it's, it's the, same the same concepts. Yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. it, it, I mean, it just and it's fascinating because it goes to show how we were still believing this shit 
well after these hunts happen. Yeah. It's also like the most expensive Scandinavian film ever made. It was like millions of kroner. But if you are if you are interested in the history of witchcraft and if you are interested in how these people existed and how they were treated, I would absolutely watch it. I mean, that stuff fascinates me. I'm very interested in witchcraft. I'm very interested in our history that concerns it. So I loved yeah, it. Yeah, it was fascinating. But if you're not interested in that stuff, then no. We won't. actually, in order to watch it, we bought the $20 Criterion version on iTunes. But it is free. There's a slightly shorter version with some scenes shortened or taken out. Yeah, and we we'll have talk no about, idea what they took out. No, I can tell you some of what they took oh, out. Oh, okay. Just some of it. It's it's a little bit short. It's like 15 minutes shorter, but it's free if you're an Amazon Prime subscriber. So if you can watch it that way, give that a shot. I think it might even be on YouTube as well because I don't think anybody owns the rights to it. <laughs> uh, I think it, it might have fallen into the public domain. So anyway, uh, either way, I, I recommend you see it if you can put up with the silent film. If you've seen any of the other silent films that we've watched, see it. It's really fascinating. I found it super interesting. But and, again, I'm interested in that stuff. Yeah. And then when we come back, we will talk about 1922's Hexen, Witchcraft Through the Ages. I'm Ben Mankiewicz, and it's time for our silent Sunday night feature. This movie comes from the Danish filmmaker Benjamin Christensen, one of the lesser-known auteurs of the silent era. The film is one of the first ever classified as a documentary, but it's really more of a horror film, a dramatization based on the beliefs and persecution of the practitioners of witchcraft in the Middle Ages. From 1922, it's Hexen. Haxon is more closely aligned with the horror genre because it includes graphic depictions of torture and demonic orgies with appearances by the devil himself. Christensen, by the way, plays the devil in the film. Christensen did not hold back on the nudity or violence either. Despite its controversial subject matter, the film is regarded as a breakthrough artistic achievement for its time. From 1922, here it is, Haxon. All right, Kelsey, why don't you tell us what happens in Haxon? So it's a movie told in seven parts, and each part kind of goes through, well, the first couple parts go through, like we said, it's essentially like a lecture. They show you pictures, and they tell you all this, they tell you all these facts. There's even like a pointer pointing <laughs> to the things that he wants to, that he wants to show you in like etchings and models and stuff like that. And it starts by explaining that our earliest history of witches is like in Persia. And in Persia, they believed that people with animal heads caused diseases. Yeah. And it goes into Egypt as well. Yeah. And it, it and it even says, and this is something that Chris actually brought up while we were watching it. It does not agree with the way that we treated these people. And it very much condemns people who believe that witchcraft yeah. is real. I was for 1922 I was really surprised with how progressive it was. Yeah. It was like, hey, mental health, mental illness, it's because people were not accurately diagnosing these problems that people were murdered effectively mm -hmm. and, and identified as witches and that sort of thing. Now, is it perfect? No, it gets some things wrong. It has an insensitive view upon certain uh, disabled people. But for 1922, it was remarkably progressive. It even said that th these people had naive notions about the universe, and that's why they believed in this stuff. Yeah. 
It explains that in medieval times, people believed that the devil was tempting children. You know, and that's all because kids do things that adults know to be wrong. And so this idea that, oh my gosh, my child is doing these things. Oh, it must be the devil. It couldn't possibly just be that when we are born, we are born with an innate curiosity, which is why we've progressed as much as we have. Right. It explains that we believed that devils... um, like, if you sold your soul to be a witch, when you went to hell, you would be stuffed into cauldrons, put straight into the fire, you'd have brimstone thrown down your throat, uh, devils would bite you, um, and it showed this awesome mural, I guess, or a working diorama. Yeah. And Chris even asked me, he's like, I wonder if that was a real thing or if he made it for the movie. Right. It was so fascinating. It was this steam-powered thing <laughs> where it's like... um Oh, God, what's his name? The guy that does all those um, fascinating paintings of hell. Like Dante's Inferno? Uh, Hieronymus Bosch. And it's it's basically like that, but it's a bunch of figures that move when steam passes through. And they're <laughs> doing things like shoveling coal into a fire under a pot. And, you know, it's all the stuff you see in those paintings of hell, but in motion powered by steam. But it's, it's really hard to neat. see because they have smoke yeah. as an effect. Well, because they have – well, they, ha- they also have to use steam to get it to power. And I don't <laughs> think they're doing a very good job of localizing – like, you know, focusing it and not getting in the way of the camera. So – Essentially, what it came down to is whenever women get together, like in a group, uh-oh, something bad's happening. Yeah, and that was basically the – there was a larger focus of that during the Salem Witch Trials. But otherwise, like you say, that was very similar to what they're talking about in this movie. Because, I mean, what it – what I believe it truly boils down to is the patriarchy being terrified of women taking over is what I think yeah. it comes down to. It even goes into the structures, um, like like what makes up the universe, like where all the planets and stars are, where heaven is and where hell is in relation to all these other things. Really rudimentary understanding of, of our solar system and our galaxy. Then it gets into more of the Middle Eve, medieval ages and how we believed that putting ointment on the back was what allowed you to fly – that uh, these witches would literally kiss the devil's ass. Okay, so this is where we need to identify <laughs> that the devil is played incredibly <laughs> by Benjamin Christensen, the writer and director. He's very scary. He's so good. Yeah. He's, a lot of him just like standing there still with an evil look on his face and his tongue going. Usually ah. with his tongue. Yeah. His <laughs> tongue is constantly going up and down. And, <laughs> And so when they reenact those scenes that we see in etchings of these witches kissing Satan's ass, it happens in the movie. He got actresses to kiss his ass. (laughs) Totally inappropriate. So then we get one of the sections uh, takes us to a a witch's house in 1488. Yeah. And it shows that they would eat body parts of people who were hung. (laughs) Yeah. To give them their powers. A a, a hung thief, I think. They take his finger. Oh, but it's too dry. Yeah, it can't be too dried out for the potion or it won't work. So they soak it in, like, alcohol or something. And they put in frogs and snakes and stuff. Uh They've got a full-on skeleton of, like, a dog hanging from the ceiling and stuff like that. 
And then it shows that people would come to these witches for for simple potions. Like, for example, there was this lady who came for a love potion for a quote-unquote pious man of the church. And what I found really interesting about this is not that she wanted the love potion, not that she wanted to tempt a man of the church, but that this guy, who, like I said, is supposed to be a pious man, a monk, I believe, or a priest, whichever, I'm not totally certain on. He's, he's a glutton. He's a total glutton. He's fat and he eats and eats and eats. This this movie can be seen as 100% an indictment of medieval church. Yes, it's very anti- uh, Catholicism. I suppose, Catholicism, which is really interesting. Yeah. So then, like, it gets him to, like, smile at her. So she's like, okay, well, I need something stronger. So they're like, okay, we'll give you a potion made of cat feces uh-huh. and dove hearts. Yeah. <laughs> and he drinks it, and then he, like, goes crazy after her and falls uh-huh. in love with her. And then she's like, okay, but that's still not enough. So they're like, okay. They give her a new one made with ma- a male sparrow, and that's going to get them to fly up and make love in the air. Yeah. <laughs> and they do a lot of really cool effects with flying. There's one segment where a woman flies through the air, tempted by Satan. Um, she leaves the bed where her husband is and gets tempted by Satan with all this gold and stuff like that. And she gets flying through the air. And then that's when we see all the witches. I think that's when doesn't matter. We see all the witches on the brooms flying over a city. Now that's a really, really, really cool effect. It was very cool, especially for 1922. And they do it two ways. Number one, he built a model village on effectively a lazy Susan, but this was really big. These houses were like six feet tall or something like that. So like as tall as a man. And this village was so big that it took like 20 dudes to spin it around for the camera. <laughs> and then they overlaid that on top of footage of these witches resting on brooms with, with a black backdrop. And then they laid they, they did this composite technique to lay them over the top of each other. Now, that should sound familiar to you because that was a technique that was pioneered in the Phantom Carriage where we see death and we see spirits come out of bodies and stuff like that using the same exact technique. They film one shot, which is the, the base shot, and then they film another shot of a character or object over a black background. So – it doesn't interfere with what's in the base shot. And it's really, really cool and very well done. Yes. Like very, very – like this is – if not just for the subject matter, the point of view, for the time, any of that, just the production is very impressive. Very. Then it moves forward a little bit and we see that even like religious people who like prayed before they did an autopsy, an autopsy was seen as witchcraft, you know, desecrating a human body after it's died. And they've explained like, they're like, dear God, please allow us to do this. We know it's wrong, but we have to understand how diseases work. And it just shows you that if it hadn't been for people that were willing to do things that were considered evil back then, we wouldn't know half the things for we no know reason. Now. Like it's evil for no reason other than just 
because it seems like God wouldn't like it. Like, there's nothing that says you can't perform an autopsy, but we think, oh, it's defiling the dead, and God wouldn't like that. It also shows us that homeless people were considered witches as well, and it really, it never says it, but it definitely shows it, that it was just fear and hatred that led to the burning of people. Yeah, and and that's the thing, is, is just like in The Crucible, you know, they take it very seriously, but they're like, oh, you should know that your accusation is going to potentially condemn a man to death or a woman to death. And, you know, they, they, they recognize the severity of this, but the thought, like, of course, somebody could be a witch, but the thought that somebody could just be alarmist or could be lying, like, never fucking enters their mind. Oh, we told them how serious it was. They must have been telling the truth. Mm-hmm. Like. Ridiculous. And then it also goes into explain that anyone can be the devil. It, it, even though a lot of it was centered on old, ugly people, y- you could also be considered that if you were beautiful. Because anyone that tempts anyone else, well, clearly they have the devil on their side because yeah. I'm such a good person. I would never be sexually tempted by someone else. So clearly they are evil. So they tell this story about how this one homeless woman ends up getting, this is the weaver, right? Um, She has a name. Her name is Maria. Maria, the weaver. She's this homeless woman. And there's a man who's sick. And they do this weird, where they take like, like molten metal. Lead. Lead. And they wave it over the dude. And then they drop it in some water and pull it out. And the shape that it hardens into, like they read that. And it's like, oh, yep, he's definitely under a spell by witches. How is you reading molten lead not witchcraft? witchcraft? Mm -hmm. If you read chicken bones, it'd be witchcraft. If you read tea leaves, it'd be witchcraft. What the fuck are you doing? Anyway, it's so... I'll get into it. It it just angers me so, so much. Um, But so they're like, oh, it must be her then. And so the, the lady of the house goes and tells on her. And then... She gets rounded up, and we see a lot of what happens to her. But eventually, through course of of events, everyone in that house ends up getting rounded up. Because the girl, the the old woman, gets tortured into confessing. Right, she doesn't want to confess. She's like, "There's nothing to confess." Until what happens with with torture? What do we know happens with torture? People fucking lie just to make the torture stop. Yes, and they deal with that in such works as The Crucible, of course. Uh, and that's pretty much what they're showing you here, right? They just don't say it out outright. Um, this movie definitely treats its audience as if they are intelligent enough right. to pick things up without them having to, to spell it out for you. Right. And so she says, you know what? Yes, I saw these. They were in a coven. I came across them. They tempted me or whatever. And that's... And then they all end up being Yeah, and then they all getting ra- getting round up too. And it's like, you know... Serves you right. Yeah. Well, but it's if anyone can be accused and you can accuse anyone because you're desperate and afraid, well, you know what? You're in danger too then. Mm-hmm. Uh, they also show that the devil can promise you things, right? And you die and it's like you wake up and you're in this amazing uh, mansion and there's all this gold, but the devil will take it away. Uh, it, he lies to you and you're left in this big old mansion all by yourself. They show that. Yeah, that's that lady that got tempted away. Mm-hmm. 
I really want to wear a cape. <laughs> At one point, this lady is wearing this fan- fantastic cape. and I'm The just one like, who first accuses Maria. She wears an outstanding cape. And I really wish that we would bring those back. And then they wear them in our second movie today as well. And God, I wish we wore capes. Yeah. They're so awesome. So that's that's like the main the main narrative is the story of Maria, where she gets round up and we see her captured, we see her tortured, we see her giving the false confession. That leads us into what what basically becomes the final part of the film, in which Christensen makes the point. He talks much more directly to the audience now, and personally, he uses I think and all that. This is when he says that, oh, all these things that they talk about in their writings sounds a lot like what we know to be mental illness today. Mm-hmm. This is when he makes that point. Uh, and instead, since they have no concept of mental illness, and even the concept of psychiatry in general was probably considered to be evil, if anyone even brought it up, that um, it was instead in- interpreted as sickness or witchcraft. It's actually really sad. They taunt her with her baby to get her to uh, confess because torture won't work on the mom, the wife, the the lady who originally accused the homeless woman. Yeah. They bring in the baby and they're like, we'll let you go. We'll let you have this child and raise it. You know, otherwise the child's going to be condemned. Uh, and she finally confesses and then they kill her. Yeah. It's really they kill her. Up. They kill her anyway. Fucking church, man. Yeah, totally. Also, there are a couple times that we see this devil character, and he's got, like, a butter-churning thing in front of him. Okay. And it is definitely supposed to be him jerking off. So <laughs> and I, wrote I can't here, believe they did that in 1922. So I, I mean, I know the- that that's when we started having porn. As soon as we had moving pictures, we immediately started having porn. But, like... I still couldn't believe it in this movie that's supposed to be teaching us about stuff. Yeah, I, I have here that the devil is um, the devil is dope as shit, I wrote. <laughs> I also wrote, the devil keeps churning butter, which is obviously supposed to be masturbation. He, <laughs> he even does it while watching two people go at it. Yes. It immediately cuts from there. So you see devil churning butter furiously. <laughs> And two people doing it, cut back to the devil, furiously turning butter and watching them. Uh-huh. And then it cuts back to the Inquisitors. And they're all just, because they're listening to Maria tell her story. And that's what we've been seeing. So instead of showing Maria, it cuts immediately back to the Inquisitors. And they're just looking at the camera, like dumbfounded and shocked. Uh-huh. And it looks like that's them watching the devil uh-huh. masturbate. And they're like, uh. <laughs> and they're like just feverishly writing down everything she's saying and all the accusations she's making and then that just spreads it's like a witchcraft pyramid scheme mm-hmm. they also explain that witches um, will be tortured by the devil if they don't do enough evil deeds so they've got even they've even got a quota yeah they have to reach and the funny thing about Christensen's conclusion that, oh, if only they had identified that this is a mental disorder or disease and it's not witchcraft, we could have done something for them. And they, he uses this term 
they could have been treated by the temperate shower of the clinic. That's not a metaphor. He's referring to treatments for hysteria. Now, if you if you know the term hysteria and you also know the term hysterectomy, hysterectomy means the removal of the womb. And that's because that hysteria and hysterectomy have the same root source. Hysteria means basically it's what happens to women when they have an off-balance or an off-kilter uterus, and that's why women go crazy. Again, it's literally just the patriarchy being terrified of women. Or totally. And but that but they had they that was an official diagnosis, that hysteria, and they would treat it with things like showers and stuff like that. And it was awful and incorrect, but he felt just as correct in making that his conclusion here as the Inquisitors felt about witchcraft back then. So even though he's right for the most part, in general about his philosophy, right? Even though he's right about that, he's not self-aware enough to recognize that in himself. And I think we should also take a moment to say, we don't know everything either. Mm-hmm. I can't wait to find out what we'd learn in the future and how stupid we must have been right now. Mm-hmm. That's going to be so much fun. I just hope we get there sooner rather than later so fewer people get hurt. <laughs> Uh, you also wanted to mention, Kelsey, about how they have demonstrations of the torture devices. So they're showing the different torture devices that they used, and it's really terrible. It's hard to look at. Yeah, I wrote it's uh, – the section on torture devices is real AF. <laughs> it very much is. But so they show the thumb screw, and I guess one of the actresses really wanted to try it. Somebody on the crew or something like that. And they full on show it and she's all smiling and she's like, yeah, let's try it. And then like immediately she's like, ow. Yeah, she. she I think he said she lasted like. A few seconds. Yeah. And she's like, okay, take it off. <laughs> yeah, like that That shit really, really hurt. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we'll talk about other torture devices, medieval torture devices in our next movie too. Nope. So, lightning round, Kelsey. I think I said everything I want to say. All right, I have a few things I want to talk about then. Let's talk about the censorship. What makes the shorter version shorter? Okay. So, this was produced, I should correct myself from earlier, it was funded by um, Swedish producers. I was right there. But it wasn't made in Sweden. It was made in Denmark, because Christensen is, is Danish. But because it was produced... With Swedish funds by Swedish producers, it was released in Sweden, obviously, primarily, and the censors there took out a lot of stuff. Among the stuff that they took out, the thief's finger, that little bit, where they break the finger off of the hand and it looks so (laughs) fucking real, it might have been. (laughs) There's that scene where where they trample on a cross that was taken out. Oh, yeah, because they're talking about how... At the banquets that the witches would hold. They're called Sabbaths. Sabbaths. Yeah. With the devil. At one point, they all jump around on top of a cross. Uh, Maria's face when she's being tortured. Which is pretty horrible. Oh, my God. She was incredible. Yeah. I'll talk about Maria in a second. And the baby that they cooked. They cook a baby in it. 
Oh, that's right. I mean, it's very obviously a doll, but that's but it's so like funny. dripping fat, like melted fat from this baby, and you just toss it back in the pot. Yeah, like it's oh god, it's gross. Uh, and and some some nudity, like some minor nudity, uh, nudity, and all that stuff was was restored in the version that we saw in the the Criterion Collection version. But it may be still taken out in the Amazon Prime version. And let's talk about Maria now. Maria was Marin Peterson, and apparently she sold flowers on the street, and that's where Christensen found her. She claims to have been the first nurse for the Red Cross in the nation of Denmark. And he says this in the movie, that at one point, like, he fully talks about the actress. (laughs) It's kind of how meta this movie is. Apparently, at one point, she told him, the devil is real. I have seen him sitting at my bedside. He found that so fascinating that he actually put that little anecdote into the movie, which is is pretty funny. With not only, like, he didn't believe it, but the fact that she did, that was, like, fascinating. The old woman, right? That's who you're talking about? Yeah, the old woman, um, who we see stripped down and tortured and all that. Oh, it's so terrible. Yeah. It's really hard to watch. The stop motion... And all the other camera tricks, that was incredible. The stop motion was awesome. When I first saw it, I was like, is that claymation? Yeah. All the figures, the satanic children. They show the woman giving birth to Satan's children. Oh, my God. Yeah. So at one point, this woman, (laughs) she's got a blanket draped over, obviously. But from out of what you would assume is her vagina comes these Full-grown men wearing animal masks. But but those masks, like, those outfits, they were, like, pretty impressive. The imagery is really, really cool. It was shit that you – it looked like shit that you wouldn't see for another 10 to 15 years in, like, the monster movies of the 30s. The imagery is awesome. Yeah. No, it's it's really, really cool. That's basically it. For me, I did want to add that I mentioned it earlier, this kind of shit with the witch hunts. Makes me really mad. Finding out, like, just uncontrollably angry. It's one of the few things that... Okay, so when I first found out about drowning witches, I must have been really little because I understood the joke when I saw it in Monty Python's Holy Grail. But, so I must have been pretty young. When I first found out that, and they talk about this in the movie, the way they could test witches was they'd hogtie them and then they throw them in the river and if they floated they were witches and if they didn't float then they were not witches (laughs) now if they were witches they would burn them at the stake so either way they're dying just in the test but it's like oh but you died you died vindicated so you would definitely go to heaven was like their thing was like oh it's not that bad if we're wrong they're gonna go to heaven but like that concept that their vindication still ends in the same exact thing, them dying, made me so just irrationally angry as a child. Like, I couldn't put in, I can't put into words now, like, just how, just that this horrible, unspeakable, rage-inducing injustice. That was, like, my first brush mentally with the concept of just injustice and how angry that can make somebody. The way he was just describing his anger, he put his hands up. Flames. Yes, exactly. Flames. 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 I hated her so 
much. It, it, the, it flamed, flames, flames on the side of my face, breathing, breath, heaving breaths. That's from Clue, everybody. <laughs> All right, Kelsey. What do you think this movie has on Rotten Tomatoes? 96. Try 88. Wow. Yeah. Overrated or underrated? I would give it a 95. Really? Mm-hmm. I'd give it a 90. It's, like I said, it's not really a movie. You're not watching a story so much. But even that structure is fascinating. I thought it was super interesting. The imagery is amazing. I really, really enjoyed watching it. Yeah, I am not disappointed with having spent $20 on it. <laughs> yeah, it was it was really, really fascinating. And it's, and it's long. It's an hour and 46 minutes. And this is the first silent movie that I didn't even notice. Yeah. Like... And I've liked the other silent movies we've watched, but this one I was totally invested the whole time. So I don't have a critical consensus to read here, but I do have reviews from around the time this came out. And mainly these were collected from Turner Classic Movies archives. They do this kind of stuff where they also maintain reviews, contemporary reviews. And so here are a few of them. This one's from Variety. They had a staff writer. It wasn't named. There's no byline. Swedish and Danish pictures easily hold the palm for morbid realism and in many cases for brilliant acting and production. That's very true. Witchcraft, made by Benjamin Christensen, leaves all the others beaten. It is in reality a pictorial history of black magic, of witches, of the Inquisition, and the thousand and one inhumanities of the superstition-ridden Middle Ages. Many of its scenes are unadulterated horror. That's from Variety, but he that's just one section of it. But at the end of this review, there's a like an editor's parenthetical that says, Film was reviewed from a screening in London in August 1923 when it had not yet been taken up for distribution. Reviewer declared that, quote, Wonderful though this picture is, it is absolutely unfit for public exhibition. All right, this one's from Berlingske... Tidden to Copenhagen, 1922. (laughs) For more than half an hour, sadistic orgies are conducted on the screen. That's a little bit of an overstatement. Yes. Meter after meter, you stare into the tormented mummy-like hag face. Like, she's a real woman. Come on, dude. Which glowers right at you in fully shameless close-up until nausea rises dankly in your throat. There is much nakedness in Benjamin Christensen's picture. The screen flashes with white backs and nude silhouettes. Like, there was very little actual full nudity. It was like, you would see a woman's back and you can tell she was topless, but you wouldn't see her from the front. Mm-hmm. The screen flashes with white backs and nude silhouettes wander about in a mysterious glow of enchantment. But it is not this nudity which is most offensive about this picture. It is the satanic, perverted cruelty that blazes out of it. The cruelty we all know has stalked the ages like an evil shaggy beast, the chimera of mankind. But when it is exactly what he's condemning. I know, yeah. But when it is captured, let it be locked up in a cell either in a prison or a madhouse. Do not let it be presented with music by Wagner or Chopin to a swanky audience in comfortable seats or to men and women who have entered the enchanted world of a movie theater. So we shouldn't know about it? That's exactly what they're saying. It's 1922. Wow. 
And finally, from the Hollywood Daily Citizen, this was written after the fact in 1930. The picture may be informative, but it is not entertaining, nor was it meant to be. It is another example of the difference in the psychology of the American and European peoples. 1930s America. In the United States, where we have conquered nature by science and invention, we are optimistic and like our entertainments to be a portrayal of our dream life, a beautiful picture of our fondest imaginings. Oh, well, that is right? pretty different now. <laughs> what a fucking asshole, though. It's like, we, the civilized Americans, are much better than your base Europeans. We've moved past it. We are very optimistic and thus... We like our, our entertainments and our delights to be just as optimistic. Oh, God. No, fuck you, Hollywood Daily Citizen. <laughs> From 1930. God. <laughs> All right. That is Hexen, Witchcraft Through the Ages. What a great silent film. Mm-hmm. We've done some good silent films here. Mm-hmm. Kelsey, before we move on to Sleepy Hollow, give me a slash card. Although its title... Sounds like a George A. Romero film. This movie is actually the first film in Lucio Fulci's Death Trilogy, which also includes 1981's The Beyond and 1981's The House by the Cemetery. Trying to think of a Night of the Living, all that, that, that's not actually part of his. So there's Night of the Living Dead, obviously George Romero. There's Dawn of the Dead. There's Day of the Dead. There's Land of the Dead. There's Island of the Dead. There's, I don't know. What is it? City of the Living Dead. Ah, okay. From 1980. All right. So I guess I'll go a little bit harder on mine. That was was pretty difficult. I'd never actually seen that movie. What Blade Runner actor played John Ryder in The Hitcher, 1986? said this is hard because you would never remember his name. I have no idea. Rutger Hauer. All right, Kelsey. 1999 Sleepy Hollow, written, of course, originally by Washington Irving and adapted for the screen by Kevin Yeager and Andrew Kevin Walker and directed by Tim Burton. What's the premise? Ichabod Crane, a constable of New York City, is sent to Sleepy Hollow, a tiny town, to investigate a series of murders. Very good. Love it. All right. So this is obviously a Tim Burton movie, and I wrote here in my notes something to the effect of probably peak Burton atmosphere of all of his movies. This is the most horror of Burton's career, I would argue. I would agree with that. Unless you want to say Mars Attacks. No, because that's more that's funnier than this is. You know, this this is much more actual horror. Not just making fun of horror. Some people might argue for uh, Demon of Bar- Demon Barber of Fleet Street. Oh, fuck that movie. <laughs> we are not big fans of the 2000s Tim Burton. We're not right. big fans of 90s Tim Burton either. I feel like we had a conversation before. From when we did Beetlejuice? Was it Beetlejuice when we broke down basically exactly when... He started making shit movies. Yeah, this was his last. And this is like his last really great movie. Miss Peregrine. I really liked Miss Peregrine. Miss Peregrine was fun. I kind of liked Big Fish. Boo. 
stupid. Yeah. But this is around the time that Burton, who just hit after hit with Pee-wee's Big Adventure and Beetlejuice and Batman and Edward Scissorhands and Batman Returns and Ed Wood and then Mars Attacks and then Sleepy Hollow. Yeah, and for me, Ed Wood, I, I know that everybody likes Ed Wood. I'm not a big fan. I love Ed Wood. It was a movie that my parents, like, my, I would go camping a lot because I was a Boy Scout. My parents would watch movies without me, including movies like Terminator 2. I was so pissed because they never <laughs> rent it again. I'd have to rent it when I was on my own. I was so pissed and I did that with Ed Wood. They're like, Ed Wood was dumb. (laughs) And so I brought it home and I'm like, what? You guys are crazy. This movie's fantastic. Yeah, I feel like, okay, so if I were making a chart of Tim Burton's movies, it would go up, 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 up. Little bit of a dip when he does Ed Wood and uh, Mars, Attacks. Mars Attacks, then up again For with Sleepy Hall, and then just a straight down. Plummet to the ground with Planet of the Apes. And then... Big Fish, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Corpse Bride, <sighs> Sweeney Todd, Alice in Wonderland, Dark Shadows, Frank we and Weenie. We did not see Dark Shadows, and we did not see Frank and Weenie. Because just watch the fucking short. Like, come on. Um... <laughs> And then uh, Big Eyes, which we also did not see. Yeah. Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children, which was pretty good. Like so maybe it. he's coming back. Maybe. I'm not getting my hopes up. No. In any case, this is one of the last good, like, really great movies, in our opinion, mm-hmm. that Tim Burton ever made. And it is like peak Burton atmosphere. So if you haven't seen it, Kelsey, should they see it? If you are a Tim Burton fan, absolutely. Absolutely. If you're not, you need to go into it understanding that Chris and I have a disagreement about one of the elements of the film. If you don't mind slightly silly horror, then absolutely. It's a little camp. It's not as camp as, say, Ed Wood or Mars Attacks, but it's a little camp. Yes. And I don't think Kelsey appreciates the camp. Which is weird because I love I love slasher camp. Uh huh. That I need to be honest with myself. When uh-huh. I say I love camp, I only mean slasher camp. So <laughs> yeah, I'm not a big camp person. All right. Well, I think you should see it. It's honestly a really good movie. So go ahead and watch it. And when we come back, we'll talk about 1999's Sleepy Hollow. I am Constable Ichabod Crane, sent from New York to investigate murder in Sleepy Hollow. How much of your superiors explained to you? Only that the three were slain in open ground, their heads severed from their bodies. Taken by the headless horseman, taken back to hell. We have murders in New York without benefit of ghouls and goblins. You're a long way from New York, Constable. Is everyone in this village enthralled to superstition? We have many things to talk about, even in this backward place. Excuse my manner. I'm not used to. Female company? The assassin is a man of flesh and blood, and I will discover him. Are you so certain of everything? Kelsey? Yes? What's Sleepy Hollow about? So we open with a shot of a last will and testament by some guy named Van Garrett, who is played by... Martin Landau. Martin Landau, who played Bella Lugosi in Ed Wood. Yes. And he's not even credited. Because he's only in it for all five seconds. Right. He's really not in it very long. I don't... Does he even have any spoken lines? I don't think so. Yeah. And he's in a carriage and he is hunted by the Headless Horseman. We get to see him kill the driver, which ends up being Van Garrett's son. 
Then he jumps out, runs through the cornfield, sees a um, pumpkin head scarecrow, which looks just like the pumpkin head that Jack wears at the beginning of Nightmare Before Christmas. Nightmare Before Christmas. And then he gets killed. And then it tells us that it's 1799, and they show us that in this version, Ichabod Crane is a constable. So if you've read the short story that this is based on, and if you've seen the Disney version, which is awesome. Yeah, we didn't end up doing that here because it is just a, it's a short, basically, combined with another short. But it's still awesome. To make a kind of movie. Yeah, so... It doesn't really constitute a whole thing, but, you know, we'll talk about it briefly here. But so he's supposed to be a school teacher is who he's supposed to be. But they they actually because you, you don't really like Ichabod Crane. Normally, yes. he's usually kind of an asshole. And he kind of is here, too. He's arrogant. So he's arrogant, but he is intelligent and you like him. He's a likable person. It's kind of how he is in the in the original too. Not if you've read the short story. In the short story, he's a pompous dick. Yeah. And if you watch the Disney version, I don't know when the last time you saw it was, they show that he is kind of an yeah. asshole. But anyway. Right, but like all the women love him and because he has a beautiful singing voice and he's intelligent. He's really and, and yeah. It's the new school master. What's his name? Ichabod. Ichabod Crane. Ichabod. What a name. So anyway, in this version, he's a constable and he's all about science. But as we just talked about from Hexen, the the autopsy of dead bodies was considered heathenistic. And they say that in the film. And they, you know, they pair it with, oh, torture this guy because he's a, he was right. a thief, you know. Yeah. Oh, you, what are, you, are we barbarians? <laughs> I caught this thief and now we're going to torture him. Good for you. <laughs> I will need to examine the body. Cut him off. Are we heathens? What happened to him? Nothing, sir. Arrested for burglary. Good work. And then we get beautiful cinematography when they're shown, because he, he gets sent to a little town called Sleepy Hollow because he's going to investigate these Basically, murders. Christopher Lee. Saruman from Lord of the Rings. Yes, and Count Dooku from Star Wars. <laughs> Dooku. <laughs> He's the judge, and he does this finger point towards him, which is really creepy. Christopher Lee has the best voice in the fucking world. God. And he says, it is you, Ichabod Crane, that is now put to the test. Remember, it is you, Ichabod Crane, who is now put to the test. Because they're like, he's like, oh, I get to test out my my fancy stuff because you guys won't let me. They're like, fine, you want to test your shit? Go figure out who's beheading people in Sleepy Hollow. This is your test, you know. And so he's basically, it's basically the core premise to Hot Fuzz. Yes. <laughs> We're like, we don't like you here. Go somewhere else. Yes. <laughs> so during the credit scene when he's he's making his way to Sleepy Hollow, the cinematography is gorgeous. And for some reason. The font and the music and the cinematography really reminded me of the beginning of Hocus Pocus. <laughs> All right. I don't know why, but it totally reminded 
be focus, focus. Okay. Anyway, uh, so, and I totally called it. As soon as the movie started, I was like, Danny Elfman. And Chris was like, we gotta wait. Yeah. And then there was his name. Yeah, uh-huh. Because we hadn't gotten to the la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la part of the Danny Elfman music yet. And I'm like, I don't know for sure. Let's just wait and see. Sure enough, it was Danny Elfman. Big fucking surprise. Yeah. So he goes into this town, and he goes to this party, and he meets this guy named Van Tassel. And you very quickly understand that Van Tassel, even though he's a very nice man, very clearly kind of owns the town. Everyone is in his debt in some way. Yeah, and who is he? The actor? Yeah. I recognized him. Michael Gambon. And what do we know him from? He's Dumbledore. That's right. After the first two movies. Yes. And then Richard, fuck, I can't remember his name. <laughs> Richard shit, I can't remember his name. You just said Richard fucking Richard shit. Yeah. Anyway, he died and he was replaced with Michael Gambon as, uh, as Dumbledore. He plays Van Tassel in this. Not the same man who plays Gandalf and Magneto. No. They look the same. Not at all. They all look the same. That's Sir Ian McKellen. <laughs> Gandalf, Saruman, and Dumbledore all look the same. They're the same person. They're the archetypal wizard. Come on now. Anyway, so he goes to this party and he's like, this is what I'm here for. And Van Tassel takes him into this room and he's explaining that they believe that it is the Headless Horseman. And so they tell us the story of the Headless Horseman. Uh, it's played by Christopher Walken, which is pretty yes. amazing. They call him the Hessian. And he's this amazing, like, warrior in the um, in the Revolutionary War. But the problem was, was that he enjoyed to cut off people's heads. He was very barbaric. And so he ends up getting chased through the woods. They find him. They, they chase him through the woods. And he comes across these two little girls, and he tells them to shh. And they're twins. One runs away, but one snaps a giant uh, stick, and they come and they kill him. They cut his head off, and they bury him with his head in this in the same grave. There is the a German state of Hessen, which is where Hessians come from. Uh, it's if you go further into it, they can be broken down into smaller parts, but that's not the point. So they're basically soldiers from Germany that were contracted by the British Empire to fight against Americans in the Revolutionary War in the colonies. So he was a German fighting for England against America during the Revolutionary War. And that's where he comes from. Now, in the original story, do you remember what I told you how he becomes headless? No. It's a stray cannonball just knocks his head off. <laughs> And that's how he becomes the Headless Horseman. But in this, the American soldiers cut his head off. Not that far outside of Sleepy Hollow in the Western Wood. Yeah, so they believe that he haunts the woods. And they believe that 20 years later now, he's come back and is killing people. Yeah. Then they show us this guy and his son and they're they're like the watchmen basically for the town and they stay up in this big tall tower and they watch the edges of the town uh if you've ever seen the village it's just like the village so he sends his son home 
and he's watching it, and it's a really cool effect. The the wind comes in, or the the mist comes in, and it swoops out the the firelight, and then he is killed. And so they all go to look at the body, and Johnny Depp, Ichabod Crane, he has trouble getting on the horse, so he's kind of late to the party. So when he gets there, he's like, did you move the body? And he goes, yes. And he goes, you must never move the body. And he goes, why? And Johnny Depp doesn't really have an answer. He's like, <laughs> because. <laughs> uh, I mean, this is Johnny Depp when he was at his best. This is totally. this is the best Johnny Depp. Johnny Depp. He's a problematic actor now because he there's stories about him that are not so great. But anyway, continue. So then he is looking at the body and he's like, discovers that the neck is, what is it? What did he call it? Cauterized. Cauterized because of hellfire on the on the headless. Horse right, meets. because there's no singeing or any of that, uh, but it has been basically all the arteries and everything have been sealed with the heat of the blade, but like very cleanly. And so it's like, oh, hellfire, huh? And Ichabod Crane does not believe in this stuff. He only believes in science. But I mean, he's already finding things that are very difficult to explain, such as that. Yeah. So then. This the, this guy, this large man comes and tells Johnny Depp, hey. Richard Griffiths, who is Uncle Dursley from oh, yes. Harry Potter. Uncle Dursley. Another Harry Potter actor. We should probably get these out of the way. I'll do it now <laughs> instead of later. There are five Harry Potter actors in this movie, <laughs> including uh, Miranda Richardson, who is Rita Skeeter. Michael Gambon is Albus Dumbledore. Richard Griffiths is Uncle Vernon. Johnny Depp is Grindelwald in the new Fantastic Beast movies, and Tony Maudsley, who's one of the minor actors who voiced Grop. Do you remember Grop? He's the giant. Yes. So there are five, and there are also, I think you'll like this, while we're on the subject, there are also three actors who were Sith Lords specifically (laughs) in the prequels of Star Wars, and they are... Christopher Lee, Ian McDermott, that's um, the Emperor, Palpatine, Darth Sidious. Oh, who does he play? He plays the doctor with the hair off the sides of his head. The one he kicks out of when he does the autopsy of the woman to find out that she was pregnant. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I told you that when we saw him on the screen. Do you not remember that? Uh, Christopher Lee, who, I, like I said, was, was Count Dooku, and the Headless Horseman himself was played by... Christopher Walken. The Headless Horseman himself was played by Ray Park, who was Darth Maul. Oh. So Christopher Walken didn't do him when he was headless? No. That's dumb. He was just the ones when he had his head on him. What, you, you think Christopher Walken's jumping off of bridges and doing axe fights? Why? Why would they? Why would they? They just Because I've his- seen him fly in a music video. <laughs> <laughs> no, they get a martial artist, they put a green screen over his head, and they get him to fight like fucking Darth Maul. <laughs> anyway, so Uncle Dursley comes and tells him, hey, just so you know, this widow Winship who also died, uh, she, he doesn't tell her she was pregnant, but he says there's a fifth victim. Yeah, there are five bodies and or five victims in four graves. So Johnny Depp exhumes the bodies 
And then he looks at the Widow Winship and figures out that she was pregnant. Now, this is kind of when we start getting an inkling. And I, I love this about this movie, that it this mystery is terrestrial, that it's not magic. It's just a murder mystery, right? And the movie goes back and forth like this, where it's, oh, this is just, it's humans. No, it's a headless horseman. It's it's a ghost. It's magic. Okay, yes, but, and then, like, it just goes back and forth like that. That's one of the things I really love about this movie, is how complex all the relations are, like it's an old pulp mystery movie. It's very much Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, but... Magic and shit. Like, yes. It's really cool that And way. I, I know that some people don't like this movie because they don't like when things have to be, like, overly explained, right? They don't want you to have to go over and go through how each thing is related to one another. But my response to that is, well, then you don't like Sherlock Holmes. Right. Because that's what it is. Yeah, and... It's a detective story. And if you don't like detective stories, then you're not going to like this movie. And you're not really being cheated because you have just as much information as Johnny Depp does when you he figure it out it. with him. Yeah, uh-huh. It's really cool. And when the when Uncle Dursley is telling him that there's a fifth victim, we see Jeffrey Jones, who, yes, we know, is a terrible person. Yes. And we do not like him. So Jeffrey Jones sees him... He's like the the priest of the town or something. And he he doesn't like that he's talking to Johnny Depp. And that's made very clear. So, okay. When Johnny Depp comes in to do the autopsy, the doctor says, this is most irregular, sir. And Johnny Depp says, I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> I hope this isn't common practice, but I'm going to have to fucking do it. That is Ian McDermott. Yes. I didn't quite get why he didn't have the doctor do the autopsy. I mean, I understand that, oh, the doctor probably wouldn't be down to do it. Right. Well, no, he's the one who was going to do it. It's his investigation. He's doing the autopsy. And he kicked the doctor and everyone out because he gets nervous when people watch him. That's what he says. I understand. But. No, I think that's very true. I think it's like, no, I'm going to do this. But then also, if his suspicions are correct that she's pregnant and that this is some sort of secret, he probably wants to contain the number of people who knew to as few as, as possible until he can confirm it. And then he does, and then he tells all of the, like, the men of the town, the major players. I am finished. What in the name of God have you done to her? We are dealing with a madman. What did you find out, Constable? The widow Winship was with child. So after he discovers that she's pregnant, he he um they show us him on his horse and he's walking across the bridge and it becomes very apparent very quickly that Tim Burton must have loved the original because he pays homage to it in great ways. Uh he has him going across the bridge, the covered bridge, and as he's going, the the toads or the frogs croak Ichabod. Yes. And it's awesome. And then they have Brom come after him and throw the flaming uh, pumpkin head at yes. him. Just like in the movie. And then finally, and there, well, there's another scene we see later. There's another scene. I mean, throughout the film, you can see the windmill. Yeah. And... It's very plainly the windmill from, I believe it's from Fun and Fancy Free. Yeah. Is where the clip comes from. There's this amazing clip. We know from, it from Disney Halloween Treat. 
Yes. It's an old TV special that they did for Halloween. It's a really cool thing, just like a creepy night in an old windmill with all the animals and the wind blows really strong and yeah. Um, I just love that Tim Burton still had a love for Disney, even though Disney kicked him out. <laughs> yeah. There's one more thing, though. Okay. And that is during one scene where he's running away from the horseman, he gets knocked onto the back yes. of, of the horseman's horse. By hitting a tree. By hitting a tree branch. Yeah. And he gets knocked on and he's riding it backwards. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's really great. So there's there's a lot of those sorts of moments. If you are a fan of the Disney cartoon, you'll really appreciate that he did that stuff. Yeah. So pretty quickly, Johnny Tap's like, all right, something is connecting these people. These people are not random. There's got to be some kind of connection. And he realizes that everyone is connected in this town by blood or marriage. And that comes from both the family tree that he gets in the Bible that Jeffrey Jones gives to him. Yeah. But also from Christina Ricci, who, who plays, we haven't mentioned yet. I can't believe we haven't mentioned her yet. Who plays Van Tassel's daughter. And she is beautiful in this movie. Super beautiful. Yeah. C- Katrina Van Tassel. Yes. Katrina. I, I wish I knew the, the lyrics. <laughs> There's a whole song dedicated to Katrina and how beautiful she is. And she's really pretty in this movie. So he's talking to Katrina. And she's telling him, yeah, like, everybody in here is, we're all related in some way. Right. And that doesn't make it any easier to figure out the connections. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, now I am not want for connections. I have too many of them now. Yes. And so they're talking and he, like, comes across her late at night and she's reading and she's like, oh, I have to secretly read because my father believes that romance books bring on uh, brain fever. There we are again. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. And she decides to show him the house where she grew up because she was actually poor when they were children, when she was a child. Yeah. Then they're wandering around in the woods and, I don't know, every time we see the heads... And we see the heads a lot. So specifically, when they get into the woods, they find this tree, and it's the tree of the dead. How do they find the tree? They end up wandering around in the woods. Him and earlier I talked about how there was a man and his son. When that man died, the son just became became like an orphan. So now he's kind of working for Johnny Depp. Yes, the young Masbeth. Or just Masbeth now. (laughs) Yes. And so they are wandering around in the woods and they come across this witch who lives in a cave. I should like to say that I, I make no assumptions about your occupation. No, your ways, which, 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 which are nothing to me, whatever you are. Each to his own. And it's really funny when they go into the cave, even though Johnny Depp is holding the gun, he hides behind the kid. Behind Masbeth, yeah, he has him in front and he's holding out the gun in, in front of him. <laughs> and, uh... And she's like, Crane? And the kid's like, that'll be him, ma'am. Like, it ain't me. Yeah. (laughs) And so he leaves. And then when he's talking to the witch, she chains herself up. And he's like, uh, what are you doing? And she's just like, when the when the creature comes, I will hold him. He's like, what? Yeah. Ichabod Crane is a total coward. Oh, 100% a coward. Yes. That's one of the negative traits that they pull up from the original book. Yes. That's why he's not ugly, because he's ugly inside. He's arrogant, and he's a coward. Yes. Because in the book, he is ugly. Yeah. 
He's got like a giant nose. The the cartoon actually draws him pretty much mm-hmm. with how the book Big nose, big ears, tiny head. Yes. Yeah. Tiny, super skinny. Even though he eats a fuck ton. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so this, I don't know, demon comes out through the witch and explains that, you know, you got to go to the Tree of the Dead to find the Headless Horseman. So they go there and we see all these heads. And every time the heads are on screen, it's the worst part for me because it's the silliest part. No, it's camp. Yeah. Camp, Kelsey. Camp. I'm not down. It's intentionally so. It's supposed to be, like, a little much. They come across Katrina again because she follows them out there because she's worried about him. And also, kind of going back and forth here, when he's talking to the witch, when she first turns into the demon, her eyes and her tongue Yeah, okay, it's a moment that Tim Burton has done twice before up to this point. He does once with, what's her name, in Pee-wee's Big Adventure... Which scared the shit out of me when I was a kid. Yeah. Large Marge. Large Marge, thank you. And once with Beetlejuice that we see from behind in Beetlejuice. When they're like, can you be scary? It's like, how about this? And they're like, ah! Right? And now, instead of... CG. Yeah, instead of uh, stop motion, which he used for Large Marge, and uh, instead of instead of props um, from behind, prosthetics and stuff from behind, which he used for... Beetlejuice, he uses CG for this, and it's pretty bad. Yeah. It's pretty bad. It was very impressive at the time, I'm sure. (laughs) It did not age well like Large Marge and Beetlejuice. So they meet up with Katrina. They meet up with Katrina. They go to the tree. And he says, and he's really cute. He says, uh, I am now twice the man because she's there. Yeah. They have a really cute relationship. It's really cute. She likes him, I think... For the same reason that Belle likes the Beast, is that everyone in the town is really boring. (laughs) And boorish. And she's come across a man who's intelligent and unique. And gorgeous. Yeah. That helps. Yeah. (laughs) Unlike Belle and the Beast. (laughs) Unless you're into that sort of thing. And if you are, I'm not here to yuck your yum. Except that animals can't give cons- consent. Well, the beast can. Well, yeah, if you're into furries. I'm, that's what I'm saying. That's yeah, fine. Uh-huh. But bestiality is fucked up. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I judge you. I am here to yuck that yum. <laughs> anyway, when they're at the tree, out comes the headless horseman. So they go after him. And he's going after, I think, Dursley is- at that point. No, 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 no. Dursley, Dursley's already dead. This is oh. when he's going after um, the Killians, the midwife, her husband, and oh. the boy, I think. Because he goes in and he kills all three of them, and it's this really tense scene where he comes back and he obviously also kills this poor little kid. Yeah, it's, it's really sad. It it sucks. And as he's leaving and getting on his horse, this is when Brom Bones confronts him. And what's-his-face is like... We cannot win this. Yeah. Like, let's leave. He doesn't want you. And in fact, there are several times that he attacks the Headless Horseman, and the Horseman just kind of fends him off. Yeah. Basically saying, I don't want you. I'm not here for you. Fuck off. Like, I don't want to hurt you. Go away. But he will defend himself. And as Brom pushes and pushes and pushes, Brom ends up getting sliced in half in a really cool moment 
where the top part of his body spins off the bottom part. It's so cool. Blood sprays out in a spiral. It's so fucking awesome. I love it so much. And then he walks right by Johnny Depp. Yeah, uh uh-huh. And, like, if he could talk, I bet he would be like, I said don't fuck with me. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, he's, he's a total badass. And Brahm is now dead. And that's when Johnny Depp kind of loses it, because he's suddenly like, oh my god, it's all true. The horseman is real. He's been stabbed by him. Yeah. Yes. He stabs Johnny Depp in the chest and actually picks him up with the sword and flips him. Uh-huh. So then we cut to back at the Van Tassel house, which is where Johnny Depp has been staying, which is why he ran into Katrina late at night the night before. And he's in his bed, and he's just like, it's all true. And they're like, yeah, we told you that. He's like, no, you don't understand. It's real. <laughs> I like, love that moment. It's so good. And they're like, yep, we know. <laughs> it's so good. They're like, yes, we know. And he's like, no, you don't know. <laughs> it's real. <laughs> yeah, that's what we've been trying to say. No, I mean like real, real, real. <laughs> it was a headless horseman. You must not excite yourself. But it was a headless horseman. Of course it was. That's why you were here. No, no, you must believe me. It was a horseman, a dead one. Headless. I know, I know. You don't know because you were not there. It's all true. Well, of course it is. I told you. Everyone told you. I saw him. And then he faints. Now, something we haven't been talking about are Johnny Depp's flashbacks. Yes. He has flashbacks to his childhood, to his mother. uh, And we'll just tell the whole story about his flashback right now. But it's revealed to him over time, and he starts to remember when he faints. He starts to dredge up all this stuff about how his mother loved him. His mother showed him the truth about things that other people would consider to be witchcraft Mm -hmm. shows the what do you call it the The cardinal yeah the Um, cardinal in the cage thing you know where you spin and it creates the optical illusion that the bird is inside the cage and so that's that's where he gets it and he gives that to katrina at one point and she even says like so you do have magic and he's like no no it's not magic this is science Mm -hmm. and going back to hexen it's things that we not understanding attribute to witchcraft and just like that his father, who I guess was a priest or something. Which we never why? we're never confirmed that it's his father, really. But we assume that. No, that's he the says case. that. He says it at one point. Does he? That okay. his father killed her. But it's like, why on earth would she be married to him? Unless it was like an arranged yeah, marriage. Yeah, it's probably not her choice. And he basically kills her by shoving her in an Iron Maiden, which we know now wasn't actually a torture device that was used at the time. It was made up for a sideshow. And when he sees her, he falls onto a spiked chair used for torture, and that's how he gets these dots in his hands, which I don't like that part because the spikes, in order to look intimidating, are too big to have left that many marks in his hand, (laughs) and it bothers me every single time. (laughs) Now, that being said, we should mention that the movie does show her actually flying. Like, the movie does insinuate that she could do real magic. Yeah. Even though everything else they show is just her... But the point is, it's she's not harmful. Right. It's just more stuff that people just don't understand. Johnny Depp describes her as a child of nature, and then he tells Katrina, like you, like you yeah, are a child uh-huh. of white light, white magic. Mm-hmm. She ends up giving him a spell book that she keeps and says, keep it close to your heart. It is sure protection against harm. Wink, wink. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's literally her. protection against harm later on in the movie. 
Just like in old westerns. <laughs> then he's talking to Katrina, and he's like, you must be really upset because Brom is, bro- is dead, and her and Brom were supposed to be together. They don't really show that in the movie, but... Well, Brom, like, claimed her as yes, his, yeah. Very much liked her. Just like Gaston. Yes. And she says, I have shed my tears for him, and yet my heart is not broken because I am in love with you. And he goes, you you must be a witch. And she goes, why? And he says, because you have bewitched me. Mm-hmm. It's very cute. So cute. I mean, I'm sorry. I, like, it sucks. It sucks so much, the idea that Johnny Depp is an asshole, because I He's was very charming. so in love with yeah. him. No, so was I. Was I. Kid. I don't know if I mentioned this before, but I... I was creating something of a Johnny Depp movie collection. I had, like, basically all of his movies up until this point. Edward Scissorhands. Yeah, she has a thing for Edward Scissorhands. I have a big thing for Edward Scissorhands. You're so creepy. I don't care. <laughs> I love him so much. And I love him in this movie. I mean, he's he's a gorgeous man. Okay, maybe he's a bastard, but I'm sorry. He's beautiful. Okay. So then at one point, there is a big spider in Johnny Depp's room, and he's like, kill it, kill it, to the young master, Nazbeth, Nazbeth, whatever the fuck his name is. So he moves the bed, and under his bed is a drawing of an eye. sigil of some sort. In a circle. And he says, oh, it is the evil eye. Nazbeth says that, yeah. And see, this is the problem with misinformation. Uh Uh-huh. When you're just spreading shit. Okay, you assume it must kids, be evil because it looks evil. When you're on the internet, not everything is real. Not everything that people spread in fear is uh-huh. real. And this is what happens when that shit gets spread. Yeah, so he starts to think that somebody actively has it out for him and is casting spells in order to harm him. Mm-hmm. But he, he doesn't know yet whom. Uh, he comes across Van Tassel's wife having sex with Jeffrey Jones, the... Uh, the priest and like while they're having sex she like cuts open her uh her, her hand. hand now before we know anything else about this johnny jeff just kind of walks on and so my question is does he just think that that's like what she's into i think so he's like that's <laughs> weird anyway it's like, kink, like <laughs> blood uh-huh so he has been looking into it, and he thinks it all leads back to Van Tassel. And so he comes into his room, and there's Katrina. Yeah, Van Tassel, who made a lot of money of from nothing other after- Other people's misfortune. Well, yeah, and the Van Garretts were his original benefactors. And, you know, he came into a lot because a lot of people came to a lot of harm. And so he thinks that, oh, man, it's fucking Dumbledore. Uh, And he comes across Katrina in his room, and she's like, how dare you suggest that it's my father? I curse the day you came to Sleepy Hollow. So Johnny Depp's like, all right, well, fuck it. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna condemn her father. I'm too in love with her. So he's gonna leave. But while he's leaving, I can't remember what changes his mind. Okay, you've passed a lot. Oh, go ahead. Before this is the church scene. He decides to leave mm-hmm. because he discovers that she's the witch and she's doing all the bad things and he doesn't want to turn her in. And that's why he leaves. It's not until he looks through the book and sees the eye and that it's a good thing that he's like, wait, she's not an evil witch. She's that's a good witch. That's what makes him turn and then he around. Turns around. That's after 
the church because he discovers she's the witch who put the sigil under the bed. Inside the church. Inside. So the church scene has to happen first. And that's when he turns around realizing that she must be in danger. And that's when he comes back to save her. So the church thing happens first. Well, while they're in the church, but that doesn't make sense because while they're in the church, that's when Van Tassel dies. Yeah. She, the the stepmother continues to go after Katrina because now Katrina inherits all the money, not her. Oh, uh, okay. So why are they in the church? Why do they go to the church? They get chased there by the headless horseman. But the whole town's there. It's like a town meeting or something like that. Oh, they're they're trying to kick... What's his face out of the town? They're trying to kick him out. They're like, you need to go. Because Katrina's like, how dare you accuse my father, yada, yada, yada. Because the father saw in the book that, oh, all the stuff points to. the father knew. When he's writing down all the clues and he's figuring out what happened, he writes down words. Mm -hmm. And then when you look at the words, it says, oh, all the signs point to Van Tassel, right? And so... That's how she knows that he thinks it's her father. I already said that. Because her father sees what he wrote in his book. She's like, I don't think he liked what he saw in your book. That all the evidence points to Van Tassel. And so he's decided that he's going to kick him back to New York. And they're all arguing over whether they should send him back. Well, whatever. So they're all in the church. And the horsemen cannot come in because it's hallowed ground. Yeah. So he's like, running around them, and they're all terrified. And this is when... What's his name? Ian McDermott. He's like the records guy. Dr. Lancaster. Oh, no, you're talking about um, Notary Hardenbrook, Michael Goff. So the notary is in there, and he's one of the last people that's still alive that's connected. And he goes, your four friends played you false. He's about to reveal the secret plot. And if you haven't gathered what the secret plot is by now, I don't blame you because it's really fucking complex. <laughs> Basically, Van Garrett had a had an affair with a woman. The Widow Winship. The Widow Winship. And then it turned out that she was pregnant. And... This child was going to inherit all of Van Garrett's money. And in order to prevent that from happening, Van Garrett, the widow Winship, and her child, who was still yet unborn, were all killed. Right? And so a lot of the money went to Van Tassel, who's like the next closest relative of Van Garrett. But the child, that was all secret shit. Um, nobody knew anything about it. So basically all the evidence points to Van Tassel who inherited all this money and the notary is about to reveal all this stuff when the priest, Jeffrey Jones, Reverend Steenwick, who is about, well, who doesn't want these secrets to come out, hits the notary over the head, or is it the doctor, one of the two, whoever's revealing the thing over, over the head with a cross killing him. And when Van Tassel starts freaking out that they're all coming after him and they all think he did something, ends up shooting and killing the Reverend. And when he's up and he's like, you're all going to tell me what's going on here, because he has no idea what's happening. He legitimately doesn't know what he's being accused of. A post from the fence of the church comes flying through the window, stabbing him through the chest, backwards through the chest, and yanks him out of the church. 
so that the horseman can actually get to him now. And he pulls him along and he and he, he gets stopped at the fence and then he chops his head off. And now Van Tassel's dead too. And who gets the money? Katrina at this point. And this is also the point when after she faints because she sees her father get stabbed and yanked out of the church, we realize what she had been doing with the chalk that she had, which is drawing that same sigil that we saw underneath his bed, the evil eye. And Ichabod can't bring himself to turn in the woman he loves, so he decides instead to just leave. Now, Mazbeth, the one who originally told him it's the evil eye, as somebody's casting a spell on you, was like, wait a minute. It can't be Katrina. She's so nice and lovely. Like, there's no way she's an evil witch. And he's like, it all fits. The same sigil we saw underneath my bed was the same one we saw in the church where all these bad things have happened. I've been attacked. Her father was killed. And she ends up with the inheritance. It's her. I can't turn her in. I have to leave. And Masbeth is like, you're making a mistake. You think it was Katrina, don't you? That can never be uttered. A strange sort of witch with a kind and loving heart. How can you think so? I have good reason. Then you are bewitched by reason. I am beaten down by it. It is a hard lesson for a hard world, and you had better learn it, young Masbeth. Villainy wears many masks. None so dangerous as the mask of virtue. Farewell. And so Even he though Masbeth is the reason this is all happening. Yeah. And so as he's leaving in the carriage, he looks at this spell book that Katrina gave him and he finds the quote unquote evil eye and he sees that it's actually a sigil of protection, meaning he was being protected when he was about to die because of the wound and the church was being protected as well, which is why ultimately the horseman couldn't get in, I think. Not necessarily just because it was a church. It was being protected. Um, so if she was protecting all these things and all these people, she's obviously a good person and wasn't the reason these people were dying. And so he's like, Coachman, turn me around. We got to go back. Because if somebody's killing people to get this money and she just inherited the money, then she's next. She's next. And so this is what I really, really, really like about this movie is that the magic turns out to be real. But the real shit, the mystery also turns out to be real. I fucking love that. Mm -hmm. Both elements. And what we find out is that Katrina's stepmother, the Lady Van Tassel, is actually the one who's been controlling the horsemen. Who she knows about because she was one of the twins in the woods. And uh, at this point, we think she's dead. She had been beheaded, but it was actually a servant girl that she cut. And the reason we find that out is because Ichabod is like, wait a minute. Through deduction and doing a postmortem, we can see that this cut was on her hand was made after she was dead. Mm -hmm. And I know this cut was made when she was alive because I saw her do it. Mm -hmm. So she is still alive. It is her. And we found out that her twin is actually the witch in the woods who off, kind of off screen, we see a flashback, she kills. Mm-hmm. So, so everything's coming to a head. And coming to a head. <laughs> the Lady Van Tassel takes the head, which she uses to control the horsemen, and sends him on one last ride to kill Katrina. And so it's this big, whole, dramatic moment. And the lady 
shoots Ichabod in the chest and he goes down and Katrina's about to die when Ichabod wakes up and he realizes he didn't get killed because he had the book in his chest. It had literally offered him protection. Mm -hmm. Ha ha. So cliche, but so great. And I love it. So he ends up wrestling with the lady to get the head back and tosses it back to the horseman who puts it back on his head and he turns back into Christopher Walken. (laughs) Now that he doesn't have to do anybody's deeds because he controls his own head now, which is that was what she was doing. She's basically blackmailing him. You'll get your head back once you've killed all of my foes and I have this money. He takes the lady Van Tassel as his bride, bride, I guess, makes out with her with his weird fucked up teeth (laughs) that he had filed down into points And it's all bleeding and bloody everywhere and then jumps back into the tree where he came from, taking her with him. But since she's not a ghost, she gets shredded as all these roots close and blood fucking everywhere. And it's great. And so she's obviously dead. Mm -hmm. And so pretty much the only people alive are the unnamed townspeople, Ichabod, Masbeth, and Katrina. (laughs) And now Katrina's just inherited all this money. So... You know, she's rich, and they decide to... Go back to New York. Go back to New York and bring Masbeth with them as their servant boy. For their new century, yeah, hundred. Uh-huh. So, we took a long time to get through that plot because it's a really fucking complex plot. And we didn't hit on... We skipped over so much stuff. It's very convoluted. It's, it, it's kind but of... But it follows, like, a logical process. If you it break does. it down, it's all very logical. It's just kind of difficult to explain. <laughs> you, you might have to watch it a few times. <laughs> So, lightning round. I don't have anything. You don't. I went through everything. That's why it took so long, because I was going through every single thing that I wrote down. I have a few things. I mentioned that in the novel, the Hessian lost his head due to a cannonball. But apparently, Washington Irving, who wrote the original Sleepy Hollow, based the story on a real Hessian who was beheaded in a place called Sleepy Hollow... Sleepy Hollow is a real place. Yeah. He was a Hessian Jaeger. So if you've seen Pacific Rim, there's a German term, Jaeger, basically means warrior. Jaegerbomb. Yes. Jaegermeister (laughs) means like master warrior, right? I guess. I don't know. They were sharpshooters and horseback riders. Was beheaded and buried by somebody named Van Tassel in a Dutch burying ground in an unmarked grave. And so that story is apparently true, but there's nothing more to it than that. Other than the fact that tales of headless horsemen go back a real long time in many different cultures, including the Germans, including uh, the Celts. So it's very common. It's not just here in the United States. I talk also about how this is peak Burton ambiance. Apparently, he said, I'd never really done something that was more of a horror film. Burton said it's funny because those are the kind of movies that I like probably more than any other genre. It's really obvious, but he doesn't make horror movies, Mm -hmm. but he bleeds these horror elements into the movies. And so when he makes an actual horror movie, this is when it becomes like peak Burton (laughs) ambiance. You can totally see that. And I mean, that's, that's about, that's about all I have to say about it. Kelsey. Yeah. What do you think it's rotten tomato score is? 65. 68. That was actually my first guess, but I thought I always say 68. I thought I always say eights. (laughs) Sleepy Hollow entertains with its stunning visuals and creepy atmosphere. 
Overrated or underrated? I'd say a little underrated. I'd probably give it a 71. 75, I think I'd say. Yeah. I really enjoy this movie, but that does not mean that I don't see that it has problems. I see it has a lot of issues. My biggest personal complaint is the bad effects and the ridiculous over-the-top heads. I love that about it, though. I know you do. It's the same thing like Braun getting cut in half. When Uncle Vernon Dursley, when he gets his head cut off, it, the head spins around on his neck several times in place. And I think that's totally awesome. I love the atmosphere. I love the characters. I love the cinematography, the music. The costumes. The costumes. The sets. The sets. Built the from acting, scratch. The writing. Yeah. I just, I think it's so good. I enjoy it. It's a quality film. I love that it's a mixture of Sherlock Holmes and magic. Yeah. It's really cool. So, yeah, good movie. That's 1999's Sleepy Hollow. Earlier we did 1922's Hexen Witchcraft Through the Ages. What, pray tell, are we talking about next week, Kelsey? Next week we have a double feature. <laughs> Double feature. Manhunter. Yes. And Red Dragon. Yes. I know you were really waiting for it. I was really excited about this one. So that's what we're doing next week. Yes. So those are both based off of the novel Red Dragon by Thomas Harris from the same series that Silence of the Lambs comes from. But Manhunter was released in the 80s, and it has a very 80s feel to it. It's like 80s noir, yes. and it stars What's-His-Face from CSI. And who plays Hannibal Lecter? Uh, the guy from Super Troopers. When the- I think of him, I think of Rushmore, so <laughs> he has a much more illustrious career. I don't know why we're having <laughs> such a hard time thinking of his better movies. And Red Dragon, which was... One of the only good movies, like legitimately good, not just funny like Rush Hour, made by the fucking asshole Brett Ratner. I hate that guy. He is just the fucking worst. I mean, it's it's Edward Norton and Ray Fiennes. I mean, when yeah, you put they... talent like that together, it's a... You're, and Anthony Hopkins is in it. I mean, like, you, you can't really go wrong, especially with such great source material. If you have not read the books of Silence of the Lambs and you're a fan of that film series or even just that movie, I mean, read Silence of the Lambs. It's great. But Red Dragon is by far the best of the of the books. Yeah. Yeah. It's fantastic. I'm super excited. And Kelsey's a huge Thomas Harris fan, like Hannibal Lecter book series fan. And we both love these movies. And so I'm super jazzed that we get to do this, guys. This is really, really fucking exciting. So next week... We're talking about 1986's Manhunter, written and directed by Michael Mann, and 2002's Red Dragon, written by Ed Talley and directed by Brett Ratner. So super stoked. Until then, you can get a hold of us and listen to our previous episodes at podcemetery.com. You can also write us at podcemetery at gmail.com or follow us on twitter at podcemetery all of this is on podcemetery.com until next time my name is chris my name is kelsey this has been pod cemetery and kelsey what do we say at the end of the episode 
Get thee behind me, Satan! I don't wanna be buried in a pet cemetery. I don't want to live my life again. I don't wanna be buried in a pet cemetery. I don't want to live my life again. And we will talk about it when we come back. So go ahead and watch it. Kelsey. Yes. What's the premise to Sleepy Hollow? Sorry, Kelsey. Yes. What's Sleepy Hollow about? Sauron. Yeah, no, Sauron. Oh, fucking... Tolkien. Say it again. So everything's coming to a head. And coming to a head. (laughs) Until then, this has been Pod Cemetery. You can reach us at fuck it.